1: A special on 3cr community radio today on the show we're going to be doing a special all about ice hockey which is a little bit different for 3cr listeners but i think as much as it's an out there topic it's a um we'll be looking at intersections sections with issues which are very much 3cr kind of issues perhaps indigenous advocacy pride etc uh maybe veganism as well we'll see what we get to Uh, But I'm Nick from Freedom of Species, and I'm joined by Claire, also from Freedom of Species. Welcome, Claire.
2: Thank you. And
1: we're we're recording this remotely, um, and I'm on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, the Kulin nation, and Claire.
2: Um, I'm on Jajawurung country in Central Victoria
1: yeah and yeah so we're in summer programming for freedom of species at the moment so yeah doing this summer special and we opened up with a bit of the song lithium by nirvana but i've specifically played seattle kraken's 2023 goal horn so you hear a bit of chanting in there and that kind of stuff um and i did have a quick look into the song and the Athletic, the Athletic dot com, which is a website I wasn't familiar with, but they had a vote, a fan vote on the best goal songs and that got the number one pick. So that that was picked by anything you think anything you want to say about it, Claire?
2: Um we haven't been hearing it. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so I thought I'd sneak it into our episode if there's any other Kraken fans <laughs> listening that,
1: that That's um, very niche. I think if we have any hockey fans at all, that would be good. Yeah. But narrowing down to Kraken fans is probably maybe a bit hopeful, but who knows? <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, it's been a bit of a miserable situation. Um, start to our season after last year's pretty incredible um, season. So, yeah, I thought if I could sneak it into our show, then at least I'd get to listen to it. I mean, we did win um, 4-0 the other day. Um, So, yeah, got to hear it a few times then, which is always good. But... Yeah, it's very Seattle to have a Nirvana song as our goal song. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely, very appropriate. And yeah, we, I, before we get into, I guess, the politics of hockey, I want to get into our hockey stories and that kind of thing, particularly yours, I'm more engineering in than mine. But um, yeah, perhaps like what wire kraken, I guess, to start things up for wire hockey. <laughs> for <laughs> any reason or...
2: Um, so I got into hockey actually through, uh, queer hockey romance books. Um, so I started reading those, I think probably about two years ago. I started off with a YA, um, a couple of YA books, um, one called Icebreaker, um, by a L. oh, don't know how to pronounce the author's surname, but anyway, one called Icebreaker and another one called The Magic Between, um. Yeah, and I was like, Oh, these are cute. And then that sort of just started me down this rabbit hole of like queer I I didn't know that was a genre. I didn't know hockey romance was a genre and then there's even more specific queer <laughs> hockey. Um, but they're actually huge and very popular genres. Um yeah, and I one of the Seattle um commentator's wife, um and he's a former player as well. I'm going to talk about his activism actually in the NHL later. Um, But his wife reviews hockey romances on her TikTok and they're fantastic. (laughs) She brings a really sort of authentic review voice to it and points out a whole bunch of, um, yeah, totally sort of misrepresentations that happen in, in hockey romance books, um, which is really, really interesting as a reader. Um, And I guess the Kraken um, attracted me for a couple of reasons. Um, I think as a new hockey fan, it's nice to jump into a new team. Um, So, you know, you don't get kind of accused of jumping on some kind of bandwagon of teams that have been around 100 years or or whatever. Um, Yeah, so the Kraken, this is only our third season in existence. Um, Had a really great season last season. Um, And there's lots of social issues sort of stuff that being a Seattle-based team, (laughs) they seem pretty on top of. Um, Yeah, there's been some questionable stuff lately, but usually they're pretty great um, in terms of really vocally being inclusive and vocally um, being, yeah, taking a stand on a variety of different issues. So they appealed to me. Um, and then I also follow the Coyotes and the uh, the Devils. Um, so the Coyotes came out to Australia uh, earlier this year in October um, as part of NHL's trying to grow the game internationally. And so they sent out the Kings and the Coyotes to do like a – um, exhibition matches as part of their pre season, um, and I watched both of those on Channel Nine and really liked the Coyotes' style of playing. I yeah. Also, really like that they're an underdog, and um, you know, there's I saw lots of jokes in the um, pre season about yeah how bad they are and how they're looking for a a new Arena is currently called Mullet Arena, which I love. But um, <laughs> yeah, they're looking for sort of a permanent home and can't seem to find one. Um, yeah, and seem a little bit of a beleaguered team. But, yeah, they really, really liked their um, youth and enthusiasm and just their style of play. And then, yeah, I mean, the Devils has got have got players like um, Nico Hersher and uh, Jack Hughes on it. So, yeah, it's hard to look look past them for a more impressive young team. <laughs> So
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I had two questions about all that. First of all, you mentioned misrepresentation in the books. Is that misrepresentation of hockey? Is that uh, like
2: yeah, the reviews? Like stuff that the authors often get factually wrong, particularly for queer romances, they love to have people rooming together and roommates haven't been a thing in the NHL for a, a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, was one of the victories that the Players' Association <laughs> won was that people no longer had to share rooms. Um, but, you know, in the interest of creating, like, sexual tension, you often mm-hmm. have players sharing rooms. So that's one sort of thing that Lexi likes to, to rail against. Um, curfews is a really popular thing in hockey romances, which Lexi suggests don't exist. Um, you know, obviously like, it's not looked on kindly, Players are out clubbing all night, but there's no actual set curfews. Um, she sort of has a good laugh about some of, you know, the sex scenes in both straight and queer hockey romances where people are wearing a lot of equipment. And so she's <laughs> like, where JT her husband was throwing his, like, all the kind <laughs> of equipment that you would wear and it's just like half an hour (laughs) she's just like yeah that's that's not gonna happen um she talks about kind of like the wives and girlfriends stuff and how inaccurate a lot of that is in the straight hockey romances um yeah she says that it's very very rare um if ever that wives and girlfriends would actually wear their partner's jersey to a game they have a whole other sort of outfits and they get, like, um, jackets during playoffs and, you know, she's, yeah, she's really, she has just really, really interesting insights. But, yeah, a lot of the sort of tropes that exist in hockey romances on, you know, the, oh, the paparazzi chasing the players, like, that's a big thing. <laughs> it's like no one's interest, No one's that interested in you, I promise you. There's not paparazzi chasing you down the street. yeah so yeah her her tiktoks are fantastic lexi brown on tiktok if anyone wants dr lexi brown because yeah one of the things she also talks about is being a wag herself she was like don't ask for gifts or you know expensive things she was like i made my husband pay for my phd so if we split up (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and she's like also get on his health insurance but she's like if we split up i'm a doctor now so yeah she's like get him to pay for your education so yeah dr lexi brown yeah cool and what was
1: the timeline from being like i like this um fan fiction book to actually watching hockey and getting into it was it soon after or did it we just reading the books and never had seen hockey at first or what was the time yeah,
2: i'd never seen hockey um yeah. And, you know, some of the books are very light on hockey in the books themselves. Mm. I, I mean, the ones that I prefer do actually talk about hockey and the games and strategy and stuff. Although, I, that, again, that's one thing that Lexi put picked up. Like she had one book that she read had the players going out for five-minute shifts and she's like, babes, it's 40 <laughs> seconds.
1: Absolutely. <here."> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be popular five, with a five-minute five, shift, oh, yeah. Five. <laughs> Sorry. And i guess for our non-hockey audience that is like the time you spend on the ice so it seems bizarre to people who watch like football or soccer yeah. or whatever where they're kind of on the ground the whole time or the occasional change over but hockey we're constantly switching across so yeah as claire said of like 40 seconds or so and you're off probably like a minute and a half is getting very long a long time spent on the ice so yeah yeah, yeah. i always
2: laugh when they put up because they're like, oh, the players have been on the ice for a long time because sometimes that does happen. They do get stuck and can't yeah. change because of the defensive play that they're trying to, you know, make. And so, and then they put up the counter and they're like one minute and ten seconds. Oh, he's getting <laughs> really tired. Oh, they're so exhausted. Or, you know, when it goes to two minutes, the commentators are really freaking out. Like the other team's got to take advantage of how exhausted the players are <laughs> being out there for two minutes. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I couldn't work out how to watch hockey in Australia, and so thank goodness for things like Reddit and Facebook, because um, mm-hmm. that Australian fans, yeah, got me hooked up for the start of this year's season. So I was watching a lot of stuff on social media. Um, so I was watching a lot of highlights on NHL Instagram accounts and the different team Instagram accounts. But I couldn't work out how to watch games. And then I thought I'd figured it out and then the streaming service only offered like two or three games a week and there's, you know, like 20, 30 games a week being played. And so, yeah, I got hooked up with Fetch and ESPN, a Fetch box and an ESPN subscription for 6 bucks a month. So what? with unlimited, yeah, hockey. And now I just can't keep up. Like I was like, oh, you know, the pre-season, I was like, oh, is this going to be enough to keep me entertained? But following <laughs> i'm watching like two games three games a day sometimes yeah but i've learned the trick is to watch the replays instead of the live games because the live games sometimes can take up like four hours of your day whereas at least with the replays they cut all the fluff out or you can fast forward some of the crap at the start and then it's only like a two-hour commitment but yeah (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the only bad thing about watching it, because I I like watching it after the fact for the same time to skip through all the really long breaks between periods and everything... but, yeah, the only bad thing about that is if you're watching the playoffs and they do continuous overtime, you kind of tell by the length of it whether it goes into overtime or not. So if it's a close game, you kind of know whether it's going to overtime or not depending on the length of the stream. So, yeah, yeah. pros and cons, yeah.
2: <laughs> I, n- I did actually notice last night my team went into overtime and I noticed that it was like two minute, two hours plus and I was like, oh, that's gone into overtime. Even before the game started, I was like, oh, 100% we went into overtime because it's two minutes. And two hours and ten minutes worth of watching instead of an hour and fifty six. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 and also you see spoilers, like you know, I mean, they're not spoilers, they're results. Bad mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. results, but yeah, I've had to unfollow some of my teams on social media, which makes me feel like a bad fan because I keep on accidentally seeing, like, the results and stuff. And if we win, that's great, but if we lose, then I'm like, oh, I don't even know if we can be bothered watching if we're just going to lose again. Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah. And I, I, we'll get into the politics stuff in a moment, but I guess kind of getting into the politics a little bit of it. So there's about 30 teams, is that right? About 30 yeah. teams a 32 teams in NHL, and they play 82 games each. Yeah. And, yeah, I think they, that... that was- pro- Regular season yeah. and then up to 28 games in the playoffs of best of seven. And I, I do think that that probably has something to do with like capitalism and stuff like that. The They play so many games. And I do feel that kind of even from within a capitalist mindset, it does sort of undermine the brand a bit, the fact they play so often. So one thing I notice when I'm watching, there's about 30 seconds to go and it's a 4-0 game or something like that. And they'll just sit with a puck behind the net and just kind of let the time tick down, yeah. Because because it's like it's eighty two games. Like why put in the effort? Just conserve your energy. If you did that in my game, you'd, you'd people would think you're a bit strange. Like people play full on until the siren goes. But again, it kind of understands when they're playing about three games a week or something why they do that as well. But um, yeah,
2: even yeah, yeah. the back to back as well. Like, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, ideally, like the players get like a day off. But yeah, it's with the schedule trying to fit. 32 teams playing 82 games across six months. Yeah, some of them have back-to-back games, yeah. And it's exactly. only because of things like the Players' Union that people do have things like a break over Christmas, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little. I think some of the teams have to play on New Year's Eve and some maybe they don't play New Year's Day anymore anymore. Um, but you know, also American and Canadian Thanksgivings and stuff. It's only because of agitation from the players' union that people get any sort of time with their family over the holidays
1: wow yeah there you go and yeah we'll we'll definitely get into the politics more in a moment i think i I did want to say as well in terms of like people who've never played or even watched ice hockey before it's like how like are these hockey players really unfit like how come you can only stay on the ice for 45 seconds to a minute and yeah it's just the the speed i I believe it's the fastest team sport in the world and like so the the intensity you're playing at is is so much faster than like football or, or soccer or sort of other sort of equivalent team sports um But, yeah, I think also... Because it's a relatively small thing, you're constantly in the game. It's never like the ball or the puck, in this case, is down the other end, and I'm not doing anything. If you're on the ice, you're really, you're really on the ice. I guess I should also just my my, my journey is definitely not as exciting as Claire's at also I can't compete it. I can't compete with that. So maybe you should have should have done mine first and yours for dessert. But I, yeah, so I was yeah a teenager, um, and yeah, I actually had a family friend who went to Canada and got into playing. Playing hockey over there and skated a bit um, so that was sort of my sort of got on my radar at that point um, embarrassingly the Mighty Ducks movies might have had something to do with it as well um, and it just reminded me when you said the the misrepresentation and being unrealistic because now watching it you're like I mean I've watched it for years but watching it through the lens of knowing something about hockey like that would be offside like that yeah there's all these things like it, it doesn't make sense um, once you know hockey but nevertheless they may have played a role as well um, and it was sort of just a gradual thing of playing street hockey in shoes um and then we um yeah this is me and my brother and my cousins and then we sort of elevated to street hockey with rollerblades just playing like on like literally on the road uh and then got into inline hockey which is like yeah sort of um on a basketball court and then yeah eventually when i was probably about 16 or so um Got into, yeah, got into playing ice hockey straight from inline hockey. So, yeah, I've been playing for the last, what am I, 39? So, yeah, 23 years or so I've been playing and, and, yeah, still playing today. So, yeah, played a lot, um watched a lot when, when I first watched I I couldn't like I'd watched hockey I'd played well maybe I didn't play I played inline hockey watched ice hockey like live watching my cousins who started before me but and I, I watched it I followed it I enjoyed it but then I went to NHL and I was just I can't see the puck I can't understand what's going on um did you have that first kind of thing
2: yeah I also discovered that I needed glasses and once I <laughs> Watch the games. I was like, oh, actually I can kind of, but yeah, the replays sometimes, I mean, sometimes the commentators don't even know, or the crowd doesn't even know a goal's been scored. It's so quick. And then, it, yeah. like then the horn goes off and everyone's like, oh, who got that in? What happened <laughs> yeah. there? Like, yeah. So it's definitely, I did actually go to one ice hockey game when I lived in Slovakia mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my dogs are barking. That's right. <laughs> Gosh. Um, yeah, I went to one ice hockey game when I lived in Slovakia in the early 2000s and actually got to see Miroslav Shatan play, which was amazing. He was on an NHL break and was back at home in Slovakia playing. Nice. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't follow the game at all. And, you mm. know, being Slovakia, like small-town Slovakia, there wasn't, like, the kind of jumbo jumbotrons that you mm. get in the, in the fancy – um, rinks in the u.s <laughs> sorry
1: um, yeah uh,
2: yeah uh, yeah so it's all the replays and all that kind of stuff are really really important <laughs> when you're watching the games
1: absolutely yeah when i first saw it, i couldn't see what's going on at all and now i totally understand what's going on but as you say even then even the commentators probably even some of the players in some case because it is so fast it's like oh okay that you you watch on the replay. Okay, that went off that player's skate off to that stick and then off their shin and then in the net or something like that. So yeah, it is again the speed of it that makes it. And yeah, often you don't quite know what happened until the until the slow slow motion replay. Yeah, um,
2: people who celebrate for having scored the goal when they review it, it turns out actually it was another play.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, yeah, quite often. Yeah,
2: yeah. Go with what happens. <laughs> or what you can see best on the ice. But, yeah, it it is really intricate and, yeah, fast-moving.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, let, let's get into the, the politics of hockey. Before we do that, we're going to play a song. Well, not really before. This is kind of part of the politics of hockey. So, this is... Um, by John K. Sampson and the song is called ipetitions.com forward slash petition forward slash Riverton Rifle and it's about a petition to get the Native American player Reggie the Riverton Rifle Leach into the Hockey Hall of Fame We,
3: the underside put forth his name Whereas Reggie Leach was born and played Minor hockey back in my hometown Fired his first 500 here Slapped his way into the NHL we, the underside, put forth his name Whereas some of us weren't always fair To the native kid on borrowed skates Chippy ghoulies and Ukraine corners with our elbows We, the underside, put forth his name. Whereas Reggie on a playoff run could make a dad go by the new TV and put his youngest by the From the old tribune Reggie smiling with the Stanley Cup Curled their corners, dropped off bedroom walls Left a square of where they used to be, be The Underside
0: After someone aged, a person with a disability or someone with a mental illness or medical condition. As a carer, you can access free support online, over the phone or in person. Carer Gateway is an Australian government initiative providing counselling, advice, respite and much more. Find out how Carer Gateway can help you. Call 1800 422 737 Monday to Friday. Or visit caragateway.gov.au. Carer Gateway. Connecting carers to support services. A 3CR supporter.
1: Welcome back to our summer special on the politics of ice hockey here on 3CR Community Radio. Um, We just heard the song by John K. Sampson about um, a Native American player being inducted into the Hall of Fame or a request for that. And we'll get into um yeah th- those kind of issues in hockey in a moment um Claire was also interested to know my favorite hockey team so yeah I would say I'm more just a, a watcher, just enjoy that like enjoy watching it whoever's like on um and I'm on a streaming service which is probably maybe the one you alluded to which is owned by Rupert Murdoch I think so I don't really want to promote it but um yeah like has a limited amount of games so I'm quite happy to watch whoever's whoever's playing but I would say and these teams are very sort of very standard like of the errors so um, Pittsburgh Penguins was kind of my team with like Crosby and I I really love the way they play and I really like I guess I'm, I was just so impressed by Crosby in mm-hmm. that occasionally in the amateur leagues, you get someone who's maybe a league above and, like, and they probably shouldn't be in that league and they're just kind of running rings around people they're just skating around, no one can catch them and they're just kind of like toying with them. And I was like, well, wow, like Crosby can do that in the NHL. <laughs> um, so Pittsburgh a bit, um, also not, and again, a very sort of safe choice, very standard choice, but um, Colorado is another team who I really enjoy. Um, yeah, watching the playoffs last year, I believe, or last couple of years, I think, but um, yeah i think M- mckinnon in particular just such an impressive skater and that that's definitely my weak point skating so yeah i feel like i really admire that that speed and j- just the way they play their passing and stuff like that's really impressive so yeah sort of pittsburgh but leaning towards a bit colorado but uh yeah i'll watch whoever's playing really <laughs> yeah oh. so we've got lots of politics stuff in um i'll i'll let you kick things off which, which whichever you'd like to prioritize claire what, what do you want to start with
2: Oh, I mean, there's so much. <laughs> I've got like 14 pages of notes, although some of them are um, useful links for people to follow up and um, and do some of their own reading if, if they're interested. I mean, given that we um, just had a song about um, Indigenous involvement in the sport, um, there's sort of a couple of things that spring to mind uh, connected to that. Um, so one of them, um, is the Chicago team, uh, their name and their logo, um, is, is, yeah, it's quite controversial. I did do a bit of reading on that today and, and there are some people who do defend it, um, because... Do, unlike... do you
1: want to just say the name and everything as well? Because most people won't know who Chicago. It's like, I, I know what you're talking about, but...
2: I kind of feel awkward saying the name because... I oh think, okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. with yeah, yeah. with other teams. I mean, other teams have used literal slurs and so they were just called, you know, people just called them the Washington team for a long long time as kind of like a comment on but the, yeah, I, I mean it's going to come up because it's actually the, the family of um of the person has spoken out uh, yeah, against the use of um native themed ma- mascots. So it's the Blackhawks. um Which is obviously some kind of English rendering of the individual's name. Um, and you know, I've got links to articles that have got his, um, original indigenous name and so forth. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's sort of, like I said, it's, there is, The fact that it's not a slur, Blackhawk is not a slur in the way that the Washington teams, football teams game is a literal slur. Um, And there's kind of the idea or some people have defended um, their logo, um, which is an Indigenous man's head, um, by saying that it's not a caricature um, and also they don't sort of use a bunch of the other like the tomahawk chop and um like headdresses and stuff that other organizations have used um, and you know that the team defends themselves by saying it honors a real life indigenous person um however i I think the name and imagery are part of a broader context in history of the use of terms and images referring to First Nations peoples um, as a name or mascot for a sports team without permission from or consultation with local Indigenous communities or, in this case, that individual's family. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, many Native Americans argue that any depiction of Native peoples as a team name or mascot is inherently racist and demeaning. Um, and there's been studies which show it does actually inflict psychological damage, especially on the self esteem of indigenous children um, In one of the articles I read, it listed a different different organizations that are calling for Chicago to change their name and, and logo, which includes the National Congress of American Indians, the American Indian Center of chicago um, the Chi Nations Youth Council and over 1,500 Native organisations and advocates from over 150 federally recognised tribes across the country, including members of the SAC and Fox Nation, um, which is who Black, Black Hawk was a member of. Um, yeah, so it's only since July 2020 that headdresses have been banned from being worn at Black Hawk home games. Other teams have banned Blackhawks fans from wearing them to away games, but it's only since July 2020 that they've been banned at home games. Um, I think it's really important to note that Chicago's home to the third largest urban indi- in- Indigenous population in the United States with 65 um Native Americans in the greater Chicago area with over 175 tribes represented. And the Blackhawks organisation, the team, work with some Native American groups in the Chicago area to promote awareness and education, but some critics argue that the funds the team provides to these groups is a way of silencing criticism. Um, and it's interesting when the Black Hawks brought the Stanley Cup to the American Indian Centre in October in 2015, um, there was an, a, a protest against that. Um, and there's a really incredible book by um, Kevin Bruniel, who's an American um, non-Indigenous professor who has written about settler memory um, and the use of mascots as part of um, the practice of settler memory. And he sort of argues in settler society, the work of collective memory serves to reaffirm the settler claim of belonging to, appropriation of, on authority over lands on the one hand and the disavowal of the genocide, dispossession and alienation of Indigenous people on the other. So he's he, there's a great chapter in his book, Chapter 5, which is all about mascots and particularly he's centering on the Washington team's history um, and and present and the, and the campaigns to change the name of that particular team. But he's arguing that, you know, it's really um, fundamentally mistaken to understand um, mascots and team names as being racist. I mean, obviously they are racist, but as being... Um, is being centred in racism. He's sort of saying, actually, you need to centre them in settler colonialism and understand settler colonial dynamics. Um, And so he says, um, you know, the names and mascots are mnemonic devices which tell us that Indigenous people are both everywhere in symbolic form and absent as active contemporary political subjects. Um, Hmm. Yeah, and he places the the naming of teens um as beginning in 1886 and running really between 1886 and 1933 and he places that within that particular period as being the allotment era um in which indigenous lands were basically broken up um by the federal u.s government um and so he's like it's actually really important to understand this broader political context which comes into the namings of these teams Um, so he's saying it's not a peripheral or superficial matter compared to other settler actions against indigenous peoples rather it's critical to the legitimate legitimation and disavowal of settler colonial violence displacement and appropriation Um, he says the practice of in Indian mascotry exists in the context of the wider racial topography of the United States where Indigenous people are rendered honourable because they are deemed long dead, a necro-Indigenous presumption, whereas other non-white groups are not deemed honourable but rather abject, degraded and exploitable contemporaneous others to the white settler norm. So he's saying that's why we don't have teams and mascots that are named after other racial minorities in the US is because of that fundamental relationship um, to settler colonial dynamics. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I would never <laughs> choose the Chicago team as my team. Um, yeah, and I really, really struggle. I'm very glad that they're having a team season I think that they're literally at the bottom of the ladder um yeah and I yeah I hope to see change around their name and logo in the not too distant future
1: Yeah, I had a couple of questions about the first of all the the Washington because I don't follow gridiron or American football at all. But did the Washington teams end up changing names, or I just am not aware of that history at all? Yeah, they
2: did. I mean, there was a massive public campaign, um, and you know, they because it's a slur as well. um, You know, Mm -hmm. it was a really clear example, and. The chapter in Brunel's book on mascots is fascinating because he talks about the ways in which the really racism of the team actually extended also into the team's, um, like, makeup, like uh, racial makeup. And so it wasn't just that, you know, they had this this mascot and this name, um, but that, you know, it also, like, like the owner had really like horrible eugenicist Nazi sort of views and like black players weren't recruited to that team and so forth. But it actually ended up, ironically, being, um, I mean, this is the wonders of capitalism, is a lot of the team sponsors actually put pressure on um, the owner to change the name. It wasn't so much public, the public campaign, but it was the financial pressure brought to bear in the context of obviously the Black Lives Matter protests. So it was public pressure, putting pressure on these sponsors, but yeah, it was that was what they responded to really immediately. Was actually, you know, the owner of the stadium, like the 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 company that funds the stadium, was like, "You got to change this name. <laughs> like this is not okay." Yeah
1: yeah absolutely and i think you know when we're talking about politics and like these organizations like sporting organizations whether it is nhl or you know a a cricket thing or a football here in australia afl football whatever it may be it's like often i I kind of think like oh they're not acting in a just way on this issue and then i'm like wait a second they are corporations at the end of the day really and so i think we have to understand it not at all to justify it but just to understand it and and like you said they didn't do the right they didn't do the right thing because it was the right thing to do they did it primarily because it was impacting their bottom line as well which i think says something about who sort of runs these organizations um as well as making them play 82 games a season plus playoffs as well um but i thought that was a really interesting point about settler colonialism rather than racism as much as it is racist as well but i think there is that thing of understanding racism particularly in from my limited understanding of sort of specific u.s politics but I, I believe chicago chicago is a more liberal kind of a state and so the idea of like people there are not a racist as it's often understood is you know someone who's blatantly using racial slurs or those kind of things but are still sort of part of that settler colonialism so i think that that, that sort of framing really makes a lot of sense around that issue and around that specific context rather than perhaps some southern states where the racism is more sort of overt, I guess, in a way. Yeah,
4: yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's really interesting because, you know, Brunil takes apart one of the campaigns that was run um, about the Chicago, uh, about the Washington team's name and, and one of it was like comparing, well, you wouldn't accept, you know, a sports team being called the New York Jews and another sports team being called something else and he's like but the racial dynamics of that are totally different like it's totally different in terms of indigeneity in a settler colonial context and you need to understand the roots as being and he's like i'm not trying to like undermine the incredible work that's been done by these campaigns but he's like i'm trying it's it's an incredible book because he writes as a leftist insider you know he actually starts off in the introduction and he's like I'm talking to other fellow leftists, which you hardly ever see Australian professors place themselves on the left and be like, hey, I'm writing this book as an intervention into leftist politics. But, yeah, he's like, I want our campaigns and our understanding of the dynamics of settler, colonial, capitalist, racist America to actually be better so that we can mount more effective kind of conversations and we can understand why... Indigenous people are treated and understood in certain ways in American politics, which is sometimes similar but sometimes very, very different to how other racial minorities are treated in America. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We we
1: better go to another song. So this one is "Dear Coach's Corner" by Propagandy, and actually the um, the last song is by an ex member of Propagandy. They Canadian band, and they actually met playing hockey, which is kind of interesting. And um, yeah, they're like a vegan anarchist band and stuff. But they yeah started off started off in ice hockey. Um, obviously, have some political differences, a lot of ice hockey stuff. But then that's what this song is all about. So the singer Chris Hanna, who's a lead singer and guitarist for Propagandy took his six-year-old niece to a hockey game and they had an it- intermission to play honour to the troops and there was um, soldiers um, rappelling down the rafters of the arena um, and, yeah, his niece was kind of like, why, why do those people have guns and that kind of thing? And it's always, yeah, been something that's kind of stood out to me. Um, the connection or, or, like, why there has to be a connection between ice hockey and the military or police, etc. Um, And I guess just as a... Uh, bit of an sort of update I guess from from the song so this song came out in twenty nine, two 2009 um, and as as well as the sort of the glorification of the military and hockey in general it's also specifically about a segment called Coach's Corner with Ron McLean and Don Sherry and he specifically addressed a song to Ron McLean because Don Sherry is really sort of extremely right wing and stuff he's like I'm not even going to bother with him but Ron McLean seems somewhat more open like, that's why the song's addressed to Ron McLean um, and Anyway, recently, so 2019, 10 years after the song, Sherry was fired after his coach's corner slur, um, suggesting immigrants don't honour Remembrance Day. So he was eventually fired in 2019, but um, yeah, after a lot of sort of very damaging rhetoric from the sounds of this song. That was sickening last week, by the way. What? Uh, What is going on with you here? No,
5: it's not. What is this stuff on here? We're hockey night in Canada and we're talking about saving the world and all that stuff. Let's talk hockey. the whole idea behind december the 25th let's talk about some good guys okay let's talk about the troops McLean, Dead Coach's Corner. I'm riding in order for someone to explain, to manage the distinction. You might have heard about the Community Radio Plus app, but it's only when you start using it that you'll wonder how you lived without it. You can
2: listen to us wherever you are: at home, work, driving,
5: on public transport, gardening, protesting, or even in the bath.
2: Just search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. We have a right to be in public space undertaking political activity. That is not something that people should be telling us that we can't
4: do. Multiple actions rolling over months and years and create huge sustained pressure of social change.
2: And what we're seeing around the country right now is increasing repression of protest. Protest works.
0: That's why I think uh, we're seeing it criminalised all over
4: the place. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical.
1: Welcome back to our summer special on 3CR Radical Radio. Today we're talking about ice hockey and specifically the politics of ice hockey. We just heard the band, um, yeah, a band with radical politics, but also who love hockey as Propaganda with Dear Coach's Corner. Um and yeah, it's something that's always really stood out to me watching hockey is the yeah again that sort of association between the police and military and like why it exists like how it's even just generally I'm always a bit confused when you're watching two teams from the same country and people are patriotic about it like I'm not into patriotism in general but like why is like Melbourne versus Perth in the AFL football why does that make us be it's just Australia versus Australia why is that like it makes more sense at least logically. Why it would be more patriotism when it's Australia versus another country, as much as I don't really buy into it. But um yeah, I, I guess one thing I, I did notice um always seeing that association and then 2020 we had both the you know, COVID lockdowns and those kind of things, and we had you know black lives matter going mainstream and being everywhere and so i i just noticed that at that time they seemed to do away with connections with the police or the military etc i didn't see them at the game and i was like oh wow they've got little black lives matter things and they had like black players talking about the issues and i was like oh there seems to be some progress and then after the lockdowns i see the police returning the military returning i'm like maybe they did maybe the police and military not being there had nothing to do with black lives matter it was more lockdowns and having the bare minimum people there, there were no crowds at the games and stuff like that. So maybe it wasn't actually any sort of progress or rethinking after all, I guess. But um, yeah, how how have you seen that whole development or perhaps lack of development, I guess? I mean,
2: mainly my kind of um, window or introduction into that sort of stuff is JT Brown. So I mentioned before... Uh, his wife, uh, Dr. Lexi Brown, um, does the incredible TikTok <laughs> reviews of mm-hmm. and ho- not just hockey books, but also hockey movies as well. She's done some really great ones and some really trashy hockey movies. Um,
1: i've probably seen most of them yeah yeah
2: Yeah. (laughs) um yeah so um her husband jt was a player for a number of years um he played for Tampa bay lightning and a couple of other teams that escaped me um but he was the only person sort of in 2017 in the context of the colin kaepernick um protests he didn't take a knee um and he talks he's got a really great article that i'll link to in the show notes where he talks about um, why he protested in 2017 and then how that goes on to the 2020 context. Um, but, yeah, he decided not to take a knee. He had conversations with friends in the military and decided it was disrespectful, you know. Um, yeah, but, I mean, that's his choice to make. But he did raise his fist, very reminiscent of kind of the 1968 Olympic protests. Um, And he was literally the only person um, who protested and was one of very few, um, I think there were about 30 um, non-white players in the NHL at the time. Um, He, yeah, received death threats um, and talks about kind of the impact on his own mental health and his family and how worried he sort of was um, and he met with his organisation and and um, and had conversations with the general manager and the coach and stuff. But one of the things that the city sort of did was um, they paired him up with the local police department, and he went for ride-alongs with the local cops. Um, and so, yeah, it was sort of designed to educate him about what the police face um, and the issues that they face. Um, rather than actually listening to what he was saying as a black man in an incredibly um, white and non-diverse and really hostile sort of sporting environment. Um, and he talks about that in the article and says, you know, he got a lot of flack from the black community. Um, he understands that it was problematic to integrate himself into a situation where the narrative shifted from police brutality um, to his actions being used that in a way that people saw as like, pro-police rhetoric, Um, and he just felt like he was forced to basically pick a side, am I black or am I a hockey player? Um, He felt very damned if he did, damned if he didn't, and literally he was the only person protesting in 2017. In 2020, there were some other, I think there were about seven players um, who engaged in different actions um, taking the knee this time, Um, and from that... From that, they sort of um, formed a hockey diversity alliance. Um, yeah, which sort of was originally working with the NHL, but they got very quickly frustrated with the NHL and actually was like, "We're just going to do our own thing outside of the NHL." And it's not been until this year that the NHLs actually started their own um, inclusion committee. Um, which in the context of banning the special um, theme nights, um, well, okay, they haven't banned the special theme nights. They've banned any real, like, club acknowledgement of the theme nights. So the clubs can still have their theme nights, but the players cannot wear the theme jerseys on the ice um, they can't um, engage in any sort of public support for the whatever, whatever theme it is. So, for example, there's like Hockey Fights Cancer is a theme and Military appreciation Night is a theme and so on and so forth. And the NHL's just banned basically any on ice acknowledgement of the theme night. So the only thing that the um, players are allowed to do these days are allowed to wear the theme jerseys um, entering into the arena for the game, like not during warm-ups or anything like that. So, yeah, it's kind of really interesting. They've come down with such, because it was directed at Pride Nights, but then they didn't want to say that it was directed at Pride. (laughs) So they've come down with such an all-encompassing ban that it's actually kind of damaged their capacity to, um, you know, yeah, to acknowledge some of the more problematic maps mm-hmm. that they have, although they still do have things like, um, you know, on, on the military operation Asian night, they still do have, like, members of the military singing the national anthem and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and I, I thought, because we maybe put a link to this article on the Minnesota Wild um, goaltender or goalie, Mark andre Fleury, wearing a Native American Heritage Nightmaster in the warm-ups um, to honour his wife um veronique who is native canadian um by wearing a mask um yeah sort of honoring that but i was kind of confused because i was like i was trying to work out reading that article what was the night they were celebrating and it was native american heritage night which i just i I assumed it was a totally different theme so he was that it seemed like that's the one place you'd most want to like yeah that was really strange that we're celebrating this thing but we don't actually want anyone to take a stand about celebrating it it was a really weird position
2: yeah, yeah it's and it 's been really inconsistent, so Philip Grubauer who's the goalie for the Seattle Kraken, he wore a mask designed by a member of um the local indigenous community in Seattle, but he had checked with the n h l and he'd been told if he planned to wear the mask for on numerous occasions, he could wear it, but if it was just to acknowledge the special theme night, so he launched it he wore it for the first time on Indigenous Heritage Night that Seattle held um, like last week, I think. Um, yeah, so he wore it on that night. But because he was going to wear it across multiple games, he was allowed to wear it, whereas Fleury's mask was just designed as a one-off. He wasn't even the starting goalie. He literally just wore it for warm-ups. He didn't even step on the ice during the game and was told that he would be fined and, the, and his team would be fined. Um, significantly his agent said significant fines were threatened by the NHL for wearing the mask Mm. um yeah, it's
1: horrifying. Bizarre. And I also said goalies were, could wear cancer awareness masks and that was okay due to the nature of the cause they were supporting as well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll perhaps we're, we're about out of time, but it kind of reminds me in conversations around cricket going on about what is a political protest and what isn't and those kind of issues as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we'll put links up to all of the... Th- yeah, some more of the things we've discussed and perhaps we'll continue this discussion elsewhere maybe. But, um, yeah, I-, I guess I'll leave it up to you to give any final thoughts and to, um, yeah, you can talk about the opening song and issues with that. I, I guess I should give a quick shout-out that we've got our Freedom of Species summer programming. So we're airing this one. Um, yeah, this is going out on the 24th of December. Um, Next week, we'll have a a replayed show about um, some of our guests and their visit to Palestine. Um, And so 31st December, um, 7th of January, we're going to have another Freedom of Species replay. That will be the Stray documentary discussion. And then 14th of January, we're going to do a final, uh, the final week of summer programming and a live special on anti-capitalism and anti-capitalist alternatives. And then we're back to normal freedom of species programming on the 21st of January um and yeah i did want to also i haven't listened to this show yet but there is a show on 3cr the sporting record which airs thursday 4 to four thirty p.m which casts a critical eye over the world of sports so it is a sport show but it's a very 3cr sport show by the sounds of it definitely going into the the politics of sport as well so if you enjoyed this you might want to check that out as well um but i'll hand it over to claire to finish things up in the closing song
2: Yeah, so the closing song tonight um, is from the Bearhead Sisters and they're a trio from the Paul First Nations. Um, They came to my attention because they performed at the Oilers Indigenous Celebration Night. I mean, talk about, like, (laughs) 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 intersection. Of capitalism, <laughs> colonialism, and sports, um, you know we've got the Edmonton Oilers team. Um, but yeah, the the Bearhead Sisters sang the Canadian national anthem in the Stone and language while wearing Palestinian kufiyas. And they also posted on their Facebook that they, as part of sharing the video of them doing this, that they stand with Indigenous people from all across the world, and that they'd like to send their thoughts and prayers to the Palestinian community. this occurred within the context of the Oilers support for Israel, the team's support for Israel, with the individual players and the team pledging to stand with Israel, as well as similar statements from other teams, including my own, the Seattle Kraken, um, and broader support for Israel also coming from the National Hockey League and the Players Association Association. Um, they released a statement mourning the loss of life in Israel, with, of course, no mention of the genocide occurring in Palestine or Palestinian lives being lost. Um, and I also remember in October, some of the gangs beginning with a minute's silence, um, but I can't find a record of that happening. So maybe it was something that was suggested, but never actually happened. Um, and and that was part of the reason. <laughs> I like watching replays because I can fast forward through the national anthems and, and, you know, any minute silence for Israel that's happening. But, yeah, um, the Barehead Sisters deserve all the love and attention. This is a really incredible um, act of Indigenous solidarity across um, Turtle Island from them, um, and I'm sure they receive so much horrible hate and so forth for that. So I'd really encourage people to look them up on uh, Spotify and to support them. Um, And their song, the song that I chose today is called um, Mandaree Special, um, the Chaski Fox
5: Memorial. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting your champions of the Mabahawis Chaske Fox Memorial Hand Drum Contest. Winning Pendleton jackets, star quilts, hand drums, and sticks. Taking home $6,000, the Bearhead Sisters.